the sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, of a member of the Wells, preached on October 7th, 2012, based on Numbers 11, verses 16, 24 through 29. Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is the first lesson that you heard read earlier, Numbers chapter 11, selected verses. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. How much they had seen over the past two years or so, how much had changed. A few years earlier they were slaves, laboring to build Pharaoh's cities, and things went from bad to worse when Moses came. You see, then Pharaoh said, if, if you have time to listen to someone like Moses, then, then why should we provide you with straw that you need for making the bricks? So they had to meet their same quota, but now they weren't giving the straw that was necessary for making the bricks. They had to scatter throughout Egypt, gathering the stubble that they needed from the fields for making those bricks. Then, then it all changed, didn't it? Plague after plague hit the Egyptians sent by the Lord God himself through his servant Moses. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn. They ate the first Passover meal with eager expectation. The blood of the lamb covered the door so that the angel of death passed over. They ate unleavened bread, ready to leave. For even if there had been yeast in the bread, there was not time to let it rise. So quick would their departure be. And when the command came, the people of Israel left. The Egyptians gave them gold, silver, clothing. But then, as you well know, Pharaoh changed his mind. He pursued the Israelites to slaughter them in the desert, pinning them against the Red Sea. The angel of God his pillar of fire and pillar of cloud moved between them so that there was darkness for the Egyptians and light for the Israelites. The Lord dried a path through the Red Sea for his people to pass through safely. When the Egyptian army followed, they were drowned. What a victory! Sing to the Lord, for he has highly exalted the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea, the people sang. And the Lord continued to take care of them, didn't he? Over the next months, he provided them with manna six days a week. When there was no water, he brought water out of a rock for them. When the Amalekites attacked, the Lord protected them, giving them the victory. And then they came to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. On the appointed day, a thick cloud, and thunder and lightning and the deafening blast of a trumpet covered the mountain. The Lord God himself came down in, in fire and smoke. The mountain shook. The trumpet blast grew louder and louder. And then the Lord God himself spoke to the people. He spoke his ten commandments. Overwhelmed with fear and trembling, the people pleaded with Moses that he act as a go-between speaking to them so that they would not have to listen to the voice of God directly and die. And so Moses went up on that mountain. 
But during those 40 days and nights that Moses was on the mountain, the people forgot the Lord. They counted Moses as dead and had Aaron, his brother, build them a golden calf. And they partied around it. The Lord's anger burned against his people. But Moses pleaded for them. He pleaded for the Lord's mercy and forgiveness towards the people so that the name of the Lord would be glorified. The Israelites repented. Then they followed the Lord's direction and built the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the altar of burnt offering, and the other furnishings according to the plans the Lord had given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Aaron and his family were consecrated as priests to offer the sacrifices and take care of the tabernacle along with the help of the other Levites. And so now, about a year after they had come to Mount Sinai, it was time to continue their journey to the land of Canaan. The land the Lord had promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land the Savior would be born in. So they head off from Mount Sinai. And that's where we pick up Numbers chapter 11, from where the text comes from. Today. They are headed off to the promised land, and yet how easily they forgot. For well, you see, in, in the first part of Numbers 11, we are told that the people longed for those good old days back in Egypt. There they had meat to eat, they said. There, there they had food, and they were sick of this man. Listen, listen to what, what Numbers 11 says here. The people complained, if we only had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. The Lord was still giving them manna six days a week, and there were several different ways to prepare it. But they wanted more. They wanted meat. And, and maybe the food was free in Egypt, but apparently they chose to forget how they were forced to labor as slaves in exchange for that food. And what was Moses to do? He had so worked with these people, teaching them, instructing them. His heart had gone out to them, pleading for them, Again and again over, those, over that year at Sinai, even before that. It all seemed pointless. No. They were right back where they started. Maybe even worse, it seemed, spiritually speaking. It just was too much, too much for Moses. And in his despair, he calls out to the Lord. He prays here. Why? Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you Put the burden of all these people on me. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. Now, in the text today that you heard read earlier, you hear part of the Lord's answer to that prayer. Yes, Moses prayed that the burden of the people was too much for him to bear alone, and so the Lord gave him these 70 elders to help with that burden. And in order to show that these elders would be capable like Moses, that they would have the Holy Spirit 
helping them, giving them wisdom and guidance, the Lord, in a rather remarkable display, had the elders come out to the tent of meeting, and there he put the Holy Spirit on them in such a way that it says they prophesied. And even Eldad and Medad, who were listed as elders but had not made it out to the tent of meeting, they too prophesied where they were. Now, what does this mean that they prophesied? Well, the work of a prophet is to speak God's message. When you look at the normal work that a prophet does throughout the Old Testament, he speaks God's message, usually a message that calls the people to repentance and points them to the Savior. In a way, the work of the prophet was very similar to what we expect from faithful pastors today as they speak or preach God's message of repentance and forgiveness in the name of Jesus. But the word, the word that's... Uh, used for prophecy here. Actually, the, the word is the typical word for prophecy, but the form of that word in Hebrew is, is different in this passage. And it's when we look at the description of what happens here, it, it appears that these 70 men not only spoke God's message, but that the, the Holy Spirit came on them in a, a special kind of way that you might say he overpowered them. Rather than their own will controlling their words and actions, the Spirit the Holy Spirit controlled their words and actions directly. We have this special form of the word also used later on in Israel's history. For example, in the time of David, when David was fleeing from Saul, he first goes to Samuel. And Saul comes after him, wanting to kill David. And there we're told that Saul prophesied in such a way that the Holy Spirit overcame Saul, so that even though Saul wanted to kill David, he had no choice but to speak God's message fall to the ground, the Holy Spirit controlled even unbelieving Saul there. And now, getting back to these 70 elders, that, that from the description here, from the words used, seems to be what happened here as well. The Lord wanted to show that as special as Moses was, as was seen in Egypt and at Mount Sinai, yet the Lord would also be with these 70 elders. And the Holy Spirit would be on them to enable them to help lead the people just as Moses did. And so he gave this outward display. But notice it only happened for a short time. It says here, when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. This was just uh, an outward sign that the Holy Spirit would continue to be with them as they helped Moses carry that burden. Now, what about that other complaint that people had? Or, or, or that Moses was struggling with, the people's request for, for meat. In Numbers 11, we see the Lord's answer to that as well. He answers Moses' prayer not only by giving him these leaders, but he also tells Moses to tell the people that they're going to have meat, not just for a day or two, but for an entire month. And even Moses wonders how this could be, but he takes the Lord at his word and tells the people that. And the Lord sends a wind that blows quail into the camp, so many quail that the, the, the ground is covered with them for a distance of a, a day's journey in any direction. The people greedily gather as much as they could. No one gathered less than 60 bushels. And they began to feast on it. And because of their greed and selfishness, the Lord sent a plague. Many died. In fact, the chapter here concludes 
with the Lord, with the people naming the place Kibroth Hata'ava, which means graves of craving. And so, that's the background and the summary of Numbers chapter 11, from which the text comes here. And, and as you heard and, and thought about that history, that this account, no doubt many different lessons and applications occurred to you. Lessons about uh, greed and contentment, about selfishness and thankfulness, about despair and prayer, about leadership and respect for the leaders the Lord has given us, and, and more. But in the few moments, minutes we have left here, let's, let's focus on the lesson that summarized in the theme that you have in the bulletin. The Lord has put his spirit on you. Think of Moses' concluding wish here as, it, as the text records it. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You and I, dear friends, we live in that time. The Lord has put his spirit on you. You have the Lord's promise. For example, through the prophet Joel, the Lord promised that these words, and after that, those, and after that, I will put my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The apostle Peter quotes those words on the day of Pentecost. For you see, after the days of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the Lord began this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That period of time began, and as the prophecy of Joel makes clear as you continue there, that time would continue until the sun darkens and the great and glorious day of the Lord comes, the last day. We live in that time. The Lord has put his spirit on us. But, but I haven't rolled on the ground prophesying like those 70 elders did or like Saul did. I doubt you have, but, but let's take a closer look here. The Lord has promised to put his spirit on us. And where does he make that promise? Well, what happened to you, dear Christian, when you were baptized with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? What does God promise? Baptism is. Jesus calls baptism a rebirth of, 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 of water and the Spirit. In, in Titus chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes that baptism is a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, same words as Joel used, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 6 talks about how in baptism, we were buried with Christ and raised to a new life with him to the glory of the Father. In baptism, my inborn sinful self was put to death by the Holy Spirit and a new person was created in me just as the Holy Spirit did for you at your baptism. Holy Spirit has been put on us. Yes, the Lord has placed his Holy Spirit on us as he has promised. As he has promised. Now, 
you might say, but, but there wasn't any miraculous supernatural sign like when these elders were overcome by the Spirit. No supernatural sign that the world could see and say, yes, the Spirit must be at work. But what is a greater miracle, dear friends? What is the greater miracle? That the Holy Spirit overcomes someone's will so that they are uncontrollably do what God wants them to do, as we see with the 70 elders or with Saul later on. Something that even evil spirits have done. Or that the Holy Spirit takes a heart dead in sin and makes you alive in Christ. Something that only the Holy Spirit can do. And he does it not only for a short time, but he makes you alive in Christ for eternity. And as far as an outward sign goes, that's what the water and word of baptism help us see. We see the water and word of baptism and know that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work because that is God's promise. He has connected His promise so that we can count on it no matter what. And since He has put His Holy Spirit on you and me, we too are prophets. What was the work of a prophet? It was to speak God's message, wasn't it? And the Lord has given us His message to speak. You don't have to wait for a special dream or vision or revelation from God. You have God's message written down for you already. This is something the people in Moses' day did not have. You have the words of the Holy Spirit written down for you. That's what the Bible is. That's why we call it the Holy Scriptures. And think of how Peter describes the Scriptures. He says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life, and those words are recorded in the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul calls the Scriptures the sword of the Spirit. Through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit continues to work in us. The Lord continues to place His Spirit on you and me so that we not only believe these words, but so that we can also share them. As I said, that, that's what a prophet does, isn't it? Share God's message. And just as the prophets of old shared God's message, calling people to repent of their sins and pointing them to the Savior, that's the same message we share, isn't it? The only difference, you might say, is that the Old Testament prophets pointed the people ahead to the Savior who was yet to come, and we point people to the same Savior who has already come to pay for our sins and who will come again to judge the living and the dead. Yes, every time you talk about Jesus coming again, you are predicting the future. Because that's what God has promised you. And as we speak God's word, you are doing the work of a prophet. You are speaking God's message of the past, present, and future. For the Lord has placed His Spirit on you. And so, dear friends, you don't need to look for some sort of supernatural, miraculous display that astounds the eyes of this world to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Look no farther than baptism, the Scriptures, 
And as the Bible also teaches, the Lord's Supper, about which we don't have time to go into detail now. Look no farther than these means of grace, these tools of the Holy Spirit, to know that the Lord has placed His Spirit on you. And just don't take a quick glance at these, thinking, oh, we got those three things, we got the Spirit. No. The Spirit's power runs deep. So dig deeply so that the Spirit's power fills you as He focuses your heart and mind on Christ alone, Christ crucified for you. The Lord has placed His Spirit on you. Make use of Him. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.